Hey, everybody, and welcome to Breaking Biotech, everybody's favorite biotechnology podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you very much for watching. If you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, or leave me a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it. So today we're going to be talking about Trevina, which is a company that only recently got on my radar, but there was so much excitement about their uh, advisory committee meeting that was taking place this week that I thought I'd look a little bit more into them, and uh, it was a little bit too risky for me to, to make a play, but I think there's some lessons that we can take away here, and I thought I'd provide some some value in, in that respect, because it's kind of a, well, it's a sad story, but as we go through it, um, there's things that we can take away that I think will be helpful in the future. So uh, the company's been around for uh, a while, and they, they have a, a product known as uh, Olisuridine, I think that's how you say it. It's a GPCR, it's a mu opioid agonist, so uh, it's similar to morphine and other opiates in that respect, but it's uh, specific for the, the mu receptor, and that's the one that is uh, associated with euphoria and associated with pain relief. So they're, uh, they're trying to get this product uh, through, and they've done a bunch of studies for it, but you know, politically, uh, culturally, opiates are not very hot right now. There's a lot of negative press surrounding them, and uh, so... That, that's kind of an aside, really, because if the drug does happen to work better than morphine, and morphine's in every single hospital today, you know, there could be a serious amount of revenue to be made. But uh, a lot of times, the, the agency is reluctant to approve a drug unless it's substantially better than the existing uh, standard of care. And that's not always the case. And this is uh, where there, you need to be relatively creative when you're deciding on whether or not uh, to go ahead and, and and put money on an investment related to a company that has a product that uh, might or might not be better than the the current standard. And that does relate to side effects as well, because if there's fewer side effects that are life-threatening, and there are some associated with morphine, then, you know, this could be a candidate that uh, the agency might be interested in approving. So if we go back, the, the company did a phase two study right here, um, where they showed that, that it works. They did a phase two or three phase three studies to Apollo one, Apollo two, and then an open label phase three study to, to look at how three different doses of olisuridine compared to placebo and how it compared to morphine. And what they found was, uh, we'll look at the combined results in a second, but what they found was that the highest dose of olisuridine, well, all the, the top two doses of olisuridine uh, substantially reduced pain. The top dose was rel was comparable to morphine in terms of pain reduction, and there were maybe slight decreases in some side effects. So respiratory depression, um, what else, gastrointestinal side effects, those are relatively common with morphine, and uh, there was a slight improvement in uh, Trevena studies. So, you know, they're going to obviously argue their point that the the real hot takeaway from, from this drug is that you get fewer side effects uh, for the same amount of efficacy that you see um, compared to morphine. So these are the data that they presented to the FDA. And then this week, uh, we got the briefing document from the FDA, which is uh, they, they released this in advance of the advisory committee meeting so that you know, people can look at it, but uh, it showed pretty much what the, the point of the advisory committee meeting was and what they're going to be discussing. 
So if we go through, uh, we're not going to go through all of it. You can see that it's a pretty substantial packet of info where they, they, they group a lot of data together. They talk about um, meetings that the company had with the FDA. So we get some insight into how, the, how they came to their decisions on statistical analysis and endpoints and things like that. So one of the things, so the draft points to consider, you know, they're going through the efficacy, they're going through the safety, uh, they're going through whether or not, you know, they should approve this drug and whether or not it's better than the standard. So, and then they also ask these questions, you know, if not, what data are needed? So even if there's no added ep efficacy of olaserdine, you know, would more data uh, be helpful in convincing that there's a safety benefit or something like that? So these are the points that they're they're talking about in this advisory committee meeting, and the the people who are advisors. There's a lot of doctors. There's um, there's more like community type people than there are actual FDA uh, appointed types. So it's more of a general uh, opinion, I would say, in terms of uh, the population and less of just a few bureaucrats. So when it comes to things like cultural uh, importance and how opiates are in the news all the time about the uh, opioid crisis. Uh, that doesn't really help when it comes to an advisory committee meeting, which represents more of the public. So going into it, it's kind of got that negative feel. But, you know, it could be spun in that if there are fewer side effects, then maybe this is a substantial improvement to the opiate that everybody relies on in the hospital. Okay, so something else that, that's interesting that came out uh, yesterday was they submitted a 10k sorry form 8k uh, to the um, SEC and it, it kind of clarified how they decided on um, their endpoint and I'm not sure why they actually submitted this like I'm not I'm not exactly sure what about this is um, relevant right now so there they said that uh, in the meeting, the end, two, the end of their phase two meeting, they had multiple meetings with the FDA, and they said that the FDA required them to use uh, responder rate instead of this 30% improvement in summed pain intensity, and they also must incorporate people who discontinued as uh, non-responders, and that's what the company did. But a lot of people on the internet are, are saying that this is a reason, this is good enough reason to bring a lawsuit against uh, Trevina, and I'm not really seeing that right here because they did do this. So they used responder rate as an endpoint uh, in collaboration with the FDA, and they also in, uh, incorporated patients who discontinued as non-responders. So so I'm not sure if, if this is the problem that people see or it's more related to the details of this advisory committee uh, document that show that there wasn't very much uh, positive that the FDA had to say about Trevina's original plan. So if we go to the beginning of the document, uh, the FDA has diligent notes about all the meetings that the company had with the FDA. And it, if you go through some of this, it's, uh, you know, it's a negotiation with a lot of this stuff. The, the company wants the lowest bar possible to, to get approval, and the FDA has their own standard. So, you know, dosing. The FDA didn't like their dosing studies. The FDA didn't agree with the primary endpoint. The FDA didn't agree with the amount of, uh, what is it? They wanted additional safety 
um, heart monitoring. They, uh, they didn't like the justification for um, the uh, responder definition. So the, and you know, you could imagine that behind closed doors, this happens all the time. So every single company that wants FDA approval wants the lowest barrier to entry and they're going to argue the, their point and try to get away with as much as they can. And it's the FDA's job to, you know, hold a good standard, hold a standard that uh, is encourages safety for the public and encourages efficacy. So the the only argument I could see for, for bringing some sort of lawsuit is that the company wasn't clear with the public when this was going on um, about their discussions with the FDA. And I don't know exactly what sort of responsibility the company does have to the public, but I think if you go back to their press releases, all the company said was that, you know, discussions with the FDA were fine. When, when really they had to go back and forth multiple times to reevaluate their uh, their proposal for the FDA to get to get them to be on board with that. So, but in the end, the FDA did end up approving their uh, report for the the phase three studies, and the company did use the uh, the definitions that that they agreed upon in terms of like what responder rate was and things like that. So. I don't know if this lawsuit has any legs, but if you look at, where is it? Uh, there was like a news thing where all these people came out with, uh, so this one here. So class action lawsuits by tons of different law offices. And, you know, they, uh, class action lawsuit lawyers are very anxious to jump on anything. So I don't know, but we'll see how it plays out. And maybe that's something I'm missing and, somebody wants to chime in and help me out with that, I'd be glad to, to reconsider my opinion. But I don't know if, if this is um, really warranted. Okay, so the other things that were important in relevance to this advisory committee meeting were the safety side effects. So they claimed that they had less side effects. Olaserdine had less side effects compared to morphine. But there were certain things that stood out um, to the people reviewing the, the studies. Uh, one of them was hepatic problems. So in some of these doses here, and it's it's kind of strange. So ALT and AST are markers of liver damage when they're elevated in the blood. And uh, you can see here that, you know, percentage-wise, the, well, so it's, it's confusing because you would expect the high dose of the drug to have more side effects, but we don't really see that. What we do see instead is the, the 0.35 milligram dose and the 0.1 dose having relatively higher uh, liver enzymes compared to the 0.5, the placebo, as well as morphine. So the agency was, was relatively concerned about this, and they talked about this. And uh, really, percentage-wise, it's not that different um, in terms of higher than 5x ULN, but when you get to this higher than 10x, more patients were in the olaceridine group than in the morphine group. So they had questions about that. And yeah, so that was one of the things that they were, they had problems with. And uh, they were also concerned about this uh, QT prolongation. So uh, I'm not a heart expert by any means, but you know, you have your different intervals with the heartbeat and apparently these uh, opiate opiates can, can mess with that. And there was some data to show that uh, this drug had had that issue as well. So they, they talked about that as well. 
But when it came all to it, at the end, they, they show this nice chart about risk-benefit analysis. And uh, if we look at this, the purple here is morphine, and the other three are the olaserdine, the different um, doses of olaserdine. And in, in one study, you know, they showed that morphine had, a, had an overall benefit. In terms of the risks, though, morphine did have higher risks. Um, and, you know, as you get lower dose of olaserdine, of course, those risks go away, but you also lose efficacy. So one thing that they noted was that the 0.1 dose uh, didn't have significant efficacy compared to placebo in treating pain. Um, and the doses that they were hoping to get approved were was the 0.1 and 0.35, I think. But the way they're doing it is they do repeat doses. So if, if 0.1 isn't enough, then you, you can take another dose after a certain amount of time. So it's uh, relatively regimented. But the, the agency is arguing that, you know, given that morphine has this benefit here and there isn't really a substantial benefit in terms of um, risks associated with it, that they're, they're not really leaning towards approval, especially because the one of the doses that they want approved has, has not really substantial efficacy. So it might just be the 0.35 dose. Uh, I'm going to have to double check that. But um, so this is one of their studies. And then in the second study, it's a relatively similar thing. So, you know, morphine has a has a benefit uh, overall compared to the other ones in terms of efficacy. But when it comes to the risks, morphine isn't that much higher. So the the way the agency ended up looking at it is uh, they voted each individual and uh, seven said yes and eight said no and none of them abstained. And, you know, this, this isn't positive for the company moving forward. Most advisory committee meetings um, end up determining the final approval status. Uh, just to note, though, the Sarepta drug, uh, Edip Learson, was one where they did vote no in the advisory committee, but the FDA itself um, ended up approving the drug, and there was some drama associated with that. But the uh, the point is that this isn't this is pretty close. So seven yes and eight no, it's pretty close. And really, if if we want to be free market capitalists, and this drug isn't worse than morphine. I don't see why the FDA should get in the way of approval of something like this when, you know, having more than one uh, option could bring down the cost for everybody. So <clears throat> this is one of my, uh, you know, one of my libertarian problems with the uh, regulatory bodies like this is they keep out competition. And uh, yeah, so so the FDA is going to get in the way, it seems like here. I, I'm not going to make a play on this company and I recommend that nobody do that just given this uh the fda really has very few reasons to approve the drug now if you think about it you know culturally politically uh after the advisory committee and um the the issues they've had going back and forth with the company really make make it seem like it's an easy um <clears throat> pardon me it makes it very easy for the company just to say no and not worry about it moving forward <clears throat> so so it's unfortunate because I think maybe this would have been a good option um, if people didn't want to take morphine for one reason or another <clears throat> but it looks like we're not going to get um, we're not going to get that so in terms of takeaways that, that I thought we should uh, talk about you know overall don't trust uh, what the company says all the time the FDA has a gag order when it comes to uh, meetings with 
particular co- with any company. So after the, the FDA meets with a company, the company's not allowed to, or the FDA is not allowed to talk about it, but the company is. So you're going to get one-sided uh, information from the company, and it's obviously going to be put in a better light than if the FDA did it. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. The second thing is, um, in when I'm looking at companies, I'm, I'm looking for drugs that have either substantially better efficacy or substantially fewer side effects, and not just taking the company's statements at face value. So there's always a magnitude of effect, and when they say something is better than something else, you know, by how much? Is it better by only 3% or is it better by like 10%? So I think that's important whenever you're deciding on making a play and risking your your hard-earned money. And uh, the last thing is you can get clues into what went on in the actual FDA meetings if you listen to the conference calls. So uh, I make an effort to listen, you know, not all the time because they can be kind of kind of boring, but as much as I can, I listen to the earnings calls or the drug approval um, or, you know, after phase three result, once they announce a result, the company will often do a, a conference call and a lot of the investor side, the buy side, analysts can ask questions and oftentimes they ask about detailed questions about their meeting with the FDA and how it went. And you can actually get a lot of clues into what uh, what they actually talked about. So, you know, you could also watch this podcast or listen to this podcast because I'll be listening to those calls and distilling that information for you. So those are the three things that, uh, that I would say you should do moving forward if you lost out on this. And, uh, you know, there's other things too, like risk management. If you didn't risk that much, which you shouldn't have because this is a very high... Uh, a high-risk gamble, then you, you wouldn't be completely blown up. But, uh, you know, that's kind of on the, the that's that's on more the, the trading side than it is the actual fundamental side. So anyway, that's what I want to talk about today. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not going to do a portfolio update. The market has been going through in a, a huge, uh, well, huge. It's been going through a dip, we'll say a substantial dip right now. And uh, the XBI has definitely taken a hit. I haven't uh, added too much to my positions. I think I bought some more uh, Viking. We should be expecting some news from Spirion, I think. And uh, yeah, but otherwise, um, not much new going on there. But I'll definitely give a pro uh, portfolio update next week. So thanks a lot for watching, guys. And uh, please like, subscribe, leave me a comment, and we'll see you next time.